And this week, as I, I read through news this week, here's a list of things, of just headlines and topics in the news this week. War, threats of more war, threats of nuclear strikes, poverty, food shortages, questions like will there be enough food in the shelves by the end of this year? Will I have enough money to buy food? Drought, wildfires, COVID, monkeypox, cancer, crashing economy, rising inflation, recession, another Great Depression. Every day, approximately over 2,000 children are being murdered in the USA daily. Children being taught in their schools that they can change the sex that they've been created by their maker with. Rising drug abuse, rising drug addiction, rising death because of drugs, growing racism, murder. And the one headline that always shows up so infrequently is Christians persecuted. And as I read through different headlines, listened to radio, talked with some of you this week, things like the school shooting, um, there can be the great temptation for you to take your eyes off Christ and to be filled with great anxiety and trouble. And these are just things from news. I, I didn't list anything from what's going on in your own personal lives. And James writes to the church then and writes to the church now some very wonderful truths because they're from God. And he speaks of perseverance and being patient and steadfast. And the believer then and the believer now must hold strongly to the truths of God's word and persevere. As we look at James chapter 5, we're going to read through verses 1 or through 7 through 12 this morning. A scriptural truth that we see from this is that confidence in God's final deliverance enables us to persevere and rejoice in trials. Look with me at James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of God. Father, again, we thank you for blessing us by giving us your words. And we thank you for blessing us by giving us your spirit. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, that you would help us to live and abide by it, that you would help us to walk in holiness. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us, purchasing us with your blood. We pray that you would be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. James writes of patience and steadfastness. And when you look at verses 7 through 9, he tells the believers to be patient until Christ returns. Over 2,000 years ago, he told the believers then, and as we read, tells the believers now that we are to be patient until Jesus Christ returns as he has promised to do so. A question that you uh, should ask yourself this morning is, how good are you at being patient in this world? Are you one who is impatient and who is quickly troubled by things or by people, and you are quick to be angry and yell at someone or utter under your breath something uh, of a complaint to some site because of your lack of patience? You would probably agree with me that we live in a world of instant gratification and everything is getting faster and faster and we are becoming less and less patient. I can remember years ago, one of my children uh, bought, or maybe it was for a gift, received a rock polishing machine. And we had these wonderful pebbles and these stones from a beach in California. And we said, these would be wonderful to be polished. We're thinking, throw them in the polisher. A few hours and they'll be done. And we read the instructions and it said, four weeks. And I don't think my child was as impatient as I was. In which I said, four weeks that I have to wait to see these rocks be polished. But that is really in this world. Or if you have flown on a plane and you land in the plane and everyone is taxiing to the runway, what are people doing? They're clasping their seatbelt ready to unbuckle it. And some of them are cheating before the ding and they're unbuckling it, hiding it quietly. But once that ding happens, before they even can say you can get out of your seatbelt, people are all crunched underneath like this, trying to get their bags out, smacking one another like it's going to help them get off the plane faster. Maybe some of you this week tried to download something and you gave up because it was too slow. Eight seconds is too slow. Fast food. Fast food is supposed to get faster. They put in two lanes at some place to make you think it's faster. They gained about 20 seconds. The average wait in most fast food lines is five minutes, but we want to gain 20 seconds more by putting up digital signs or putting up two lanes to make us think it's faster. But again, think of how impatient we are in this world, and we're becoming more impatient because everything gets faster. Yet when we read through the Word of God, and specifically here in James, God values patience Because patience is needed if you're going to persevere through any trial and with it, as we've been reading in James, joy to come with it. Look with me at verse 7 here of James 5. It says, be what? Patient. It means to be of long spirit. It means long suffering. The word patience here means to endure trials and troubles with this long suffering. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. When you read this word patience and when it's used in other places, like in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, um, you have this sense of bearing patience uh, even in the offense 
that injuries that people do to you, being slow to anger, as Scripture tells us. When you read Galatians chapter 5, when it speaks of the fruit of the spirit of the believers, one of the fruit that is mentioned is what? Patience. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and when he describes in 1 Corinthians 13 what love is, the first descriptor of love is what? Patience. He says love is patience. Patient. Love is kind. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church there in verse 14 and says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Not only are we to be patient in a world going 100 miles an hour that is troubling in this world, we are to be patient with one another. To be patient with others may be your greatest test right now. Can you be patient with your family members, your spouses, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers? You're called to go through and persevere in this life and be patient. In verse 7 there, how long are we to be patient? What's it say in verse 7 of James 5? Until when? The coming of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Christians then knew, as we know now from Scripture, Jesus said that he would leave, but he is going to return. The believers clung to this. That was their hope, and that is to be your hope as a believer today, that the promises of God and his word that he fulfills every single one. And therefore, Christ said he will return, and he promises that, and he will You can read Matthew chapter 24 in which Jesus speaks of this day. You can read in Matthew chapter 25 in which he says how to do that, to be ready and to be patient in that. You can read in the New Testament letters in which the apostles write to the church and they are talking about the day of the Lord and waiting expectantly, hopefully with great patience for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a follower of Christ, your hope is in your Savior, Jesus, and that he will not leave you or forsake you, and that he will come again for you. So there is a future coming of the Lord. There is a day of the Lord at hand from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We have a repeated uh, theme from Scripture of the day of the Lord, that it will be a glorious, awesome, joyful day for the believer And for those who are not followers of Christ, those who are not Christian, it it will be, as it's described, the awful day, the terrible day of the Lord because they will want to hide from God who is the judge and will not want him to return. For the believer, our hope is in God's promise of his return. And we look to the clouds and we await expectantly and we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to be patient and to suffer and to endure the suffering that we face in this world. In James chapter 1, we read in verse 12, 
It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, that in this world you have trouble and there are trials as we read at the beginning of James and there is a plan to go through it that God brings you through and it says you are blessed to remain steadfast to, under those trials. In verse 7 of James 5, it says not only to be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord, it says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. And for those of you who grow vegetables and grow fruit, sometimes it is hard to be patient and wait for the harvest, but you wait for that. You wait for the rains. You water. You fertilize. You take care of that, and you wait until you see the fruit of all of that work. I can think of as a child and think and watching other children when you do that plant experiment and they give you the bean and you wrap it up in the paper towel and you get moisture on it and you put it in the cup and you wait to watch that sprout. What do children do the first day? They look at it like 50 times thinking it's going to sprout right in front of them. And they look at it more, and then the next day, and less, and then finally, this sprout comes up, and they're so excited, and that seems like forever. But that's what it's like for us walking in this world today. You may think 80 years of life is a long time, and it's a slow, but it's very fast. The Lord's coming is at hand, and we are to wait patiently for it as we go through the trials until we see his return, we cannot speed up the rain. We cannot speed up the growth in the sense that we cannot speed up the coming of the Lord. There is a day that the God, God the Father has set for Christ the Son to return. And when that moment happens, Christ will return. And while we wait, we are to be obedient to the Lord. And we are to be at work. We're to be at work, not a, in the sense of go and get a job, but at the work that God has set before us, which is to do good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And those good works include sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth until all of God's people come to salvation through faith in Christ alone, and at that moment, Christ returns. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. James says in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so there is a command there, in a sense, for you to be doing something that God does in you. It says, Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord, this sense of being ready, as Christ repeatedly told the, his followers to be ready for his return. You can read that in Matthew 25. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. As Christ spoke of his return and those signs and his coming in the clouds, he says this of his return in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 39. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 39. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. If you go back and read in Genesis chapter 6, when God looked down on the earth, he said all that he saw was wickedness. All that man did was wickedness. You look at this world today, mankind does wickedness. I read to you at the beginning of this sermon a list of just wickedness that happens in our world. And Jesus says, like when the flood came upon the earth, people were living their life, in their wickedness, doing all those things, and it was a surprise to them when they were drowned by the floodwaters that God sent upon them. Jesus says the coming of the Son of Man when he returns will be just like that surprise and people living in their wickedness, they will also be terrified and be swept away by the judgment of God before the throne of God. So, James says, we are to be ready. We are to establish our hearts. We are to be patient even though we want Jesus to return right now, and he re- may return before this sermon is done, then praise the Lord. But we wait. And we cannot wait and be patient and to do these things apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, your prayer, Christian, this morning should be, Holy Spirit, fill me up Give me the ability to stand under all the trials, to go through it with joy, to have patience in it, and help me to be ready that the works that I do, that I don't waste the time. Those things would be the things we pray for. He says establish your hearts. It means to make your heart steadfast, to make it firm, to strengthen it, to be constant. And it's this picture of watching your heart. We've looked at this over the last few weeks in James. Church, are you watching your heart? Those who are not Christians are not watching their heart. If you're a Christian, you are to be watching your heart, tying into being patient that your heart is fixed on Christ and his word and his return that is near, that it's imminent, that it's at hand. It says there in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus Christ's return is near. We do not have to wait a long time. Therefore, you may feel like fainting or collapsing today. And the weight of what you're going through in this world is quite troubling to you. And you see the trouble in this world. And you face persecution because your faith is in Christ. James says, establish your heart before the Lord because his coming is at hand. Second Peter chapter 3 speaks of this in which Peter writes in verses 8 through 10, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. 
And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is patient towards us. God values patience. And just as when you read the Chronicles of Narnia, the children go into Narnia, and they seem they've been there months or even years, and then they go back to their home, and it's only been a moment or a few minutes is with the Lord, time, there's eternity. And it says, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And for us, we can't wait for the clock to go around for 45 minutes so Pastor Paul can be done preaching. I know sometimes we need to pray, Lord, give me patience. Um, but that's what we should pray for, that we would be patient as we wait for the Lord's return and be ready at all times. There's another aspect of this patience and one of the things which James writes in verse 9, he speaks of the judge. Look at verse 9. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Maybe some of you have experienced this either driving or been the child in the car and asking, are we there yet? How much longer? And after about the 30th or 40th time as a parent, you want to turn around like, do something else than ask me that. Look out the window. Play another game. But that angst, are we going to be there yet? It's like that angst of the believer. Lord, when are you coming? I want to be there with you in your presence I want to be in this new heavens and this new earth where you make all things new. I want to be out of this sinful body. I want to have a glorified body, a perfect soul. And there's a warning here to the believers as you wait patiently. He says, do not grumble against one another. And many of you might just pass over that. But he writes that to the believers then and he writes that to you now. You are to be patient with your other brothers and sisters in Christ, it says, so that you may not be judged. Do you not only watch your heart closely, but do you watch how you respond to brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship of the believers? The elders are charged with watching for the care of the flock of God's people that he's entrusted to them. And you as a believer are called to love one another, to use your gifts and strengths and abilities to serve one another. And as James says, to not grumble against one another. And I wonder how many times are we as believers so impatient with the return of Christ and the troubles of this world that we then become impatient with one another and our words come out harsh and we grumble against one another. If you were not here, we spent a few weeks in James chapter 3 and the beginning of James chapter 4 and how powerful your tongue is in that you can bless God one moment and you can curse uh, your brother or sister in Christ in the next moment. Do you groan and complain about other brothers and sisters in Christ because of what they've done or what they've not done or how fast they are with something or not or they never called you back. They didn't send you a card like they sent so-and-so. You didn't get invited to their house because that person got invited and you found it. Do you grumble and complain because you're impatient waiting for the Lord and it just flows from your mouth and spews so easily that you talk like the rest of the world? James warned 
the believers then and warns us now of the power of our tongue. And here he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Well, what does that mean? It says the judge, behold, the judge is standing at the door. For the believer, we think of Matthew chapter 25 in which Jesus speaks of the parable of the talents in which the master returns and what he had given the talents, the different ones, to the, these stewards and he says to give an account and they give an account and one of them did nothing. And he says, cast him out and the other two were rewarded and said, well done, good and faithful servant. There will be a day, Christian, in which you stand before the Lord clothed in the righteousness of Christ and therefore being seen as, spot, as the spotless Lamb of God because you are covered with the righteousness of Christ, but you will also give an account for anything and everything that God has entrusted to you in this life and how we respond to the King of Kings, to the holy, just, perfect, just judge, Jesus. Here's what you've given me. Here's how I've stewarded it, stewarded it and entrusted it. Back to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul tells the church in Corinth. In verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil. Again the day of judgment. For the non-believer. The non-Christian. The person has no regard for Christ. The person without faith in Christ alone. Terrible day before the judgment seat of God. And you will be judged and you will be cast into hell that was created for Satan and the demons and you will remain there in hell for eternity where the wrath of God the Father will be upon you forever. That is the day of judgment for the non-believer. For the Christian, you will stand before the Lord in the righteousness of Christ, forgiven of all of the sins that you have done against the Lord God Almighty. And you will give an account for the spiritual gifts that you have been given, for the abilities that you've been born with, with all the finances and all the materials that God has granted you. And you will give an answer. Even your words, as James writes, you will give an answer for how you stewarded your life and what God gave you. And do not get mixed up and forget that you cannot do anything good unless the Holy Spirit does that work in you. Amen. So anything that we give back to the Lord, as we stand before Him, we praise Him because He did the work in us. Therefore, we must pray and devote ourselves to Scripture that the Holy Spirit would move in us the truths of God's Word, that we would do good works, that God is glorified as we stand before our Lord and Savior, the perfect, just judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes to the church of the good works, the things that we do or not do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Church, our foundation is Jesus Christ. We build our lives on Christ and his word. And the things that we pray for is that God would do a good work in us that we would not have a bunch of things that we lay before the Lord and say, I did all these things, and they, in a sense, just are burnt up because they were not done for the glory of God, but they were done for our own pridefulness or our own self. What are the things that God has given us? For the believer, he's given us salvation. He's given us the gift of faith. He has justified us. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us and he sanctifies us. He's given us his word and he's given us the gospel message. And so the fruit, as the farmer waits, the same sense here is what are you doing with those gifts? This process of growth. Who have you proclaimed the gospel to? Must I remind you again what is the gospel? And I say yes, because too many Christians, I ask, what is the gospel? They will say, oh, it's the Bible. No, the gospel is not the Bible. The gospel is contained in the Bible. The gospel means the good news. Well, tell me what the gospel is. Oh, it's Jesus. Okay, you're getting closer. The gospel is very specific and very clear. And if you're a believer, you've been saved by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So you do know it, and you're called and commanded to go and declare it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, is that you have been born into this world as a sinner, as an enemy of God. You've broken God's law, and all you do is search after his sinfulness and pridefulness of your life. But God, in His grace and His love and His mercy, has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, who never broke God's law. He went to the cross to purchase His people, knowing fully what He was purchasing by His blood, sinners and enemies to make His own people And there at the cross, God the Father poured out His wrath meant for you for all eternity because of your sin, and Jesus Christ took it for His children. And there He bled, and He died, and He was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, Christ what? He rose again from death to life, and Christ has ascended to heaven where He rules and reigns now, and He is going to return because He promised to do that, that day of judgment. There will be one return of Christ, and we will stand before Him. The good news, as Romans 10 says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from death to life, you will be saved. So again, I tell you this every week. The gospel, you hear it every week. Every single one of you are saved should be able to go and declare the gospel of Jesus to another person. In however words that God leads you in that. And don't tell them to pray a prayer because there's no prayer in Scripture. 
Simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from death to life. It's not bad to say a prayer, and you should pray. Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Shower your mercy upon me. Forgive me. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. But I can't tell you a class to go to, a prayer to say, just simply call out in faith to Christ, and God who grants that faith will save his people from their sins. Church, you are commanded to go and do that if you're a follower of Christ. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the power, the ability, the words, and the opportunity. And, as some of you may be shaking in your boots, as I do many times when I'm at a coffee shop or somewhere else, and I meet a stranger to share the gospel, I don't feel as bold as this as when I am before you. And I'm like, Lord, help me. So pray. The Lord would give you the ability because the day is coming It is at hand. The judge is standing at the door as James chapter 5 verse 9 states. Look at verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12, James lays out for us to remain steadfast and you will be blessed. In verse 10, the first thing that James writes that there is that believers should expect suffering and that that suffering requires patience. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Go and read through the Old Testament prophets. Read of Jeremiah, the titled the weeping prophet who was rejected by his own people. He was despised. He was abused. He was beaten. He was imprisoned because he was speaking the message that God gave him. Read of Ezekiel. Read of Daniel. Read of Elijah, who James writes of in, in, in chapter 5. That their trials of persecution were great. And yet in that, James says they are the example to look to as you suffer because they were patient as they waited for God. They repeatedly called the nation of Israel to repent of their sins, to stop being stiff-necked and stubborn, And turned to the Lord. And Israel continued to reject the Lord. Israel continued to stiffen their necks and harden their hearts against God. And he says, look to the prophets who were steadfast in those times. And the second thing that James says there in verse 11 is that he, he, he writes in verse 11 that God blessed the prophets for remaining steadfast. So as you look to their example and as you remain steadfast in the trials of this world, that you will be blessed. Verse 11, behold, we consider those, those prophets, blessed who remain steadfast. Steadfast means to endure or endurance, to bear bravely and calmly the troubles and trials of this world. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Have you ever rejoiced in your sufferings? I say, no. It's very hard. Why would I rejoice that I'm going through this? Well, he says, not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Amen. We rejoice in our suffering because the suffering 
that God brings us through sanctifies us, causes spiritual growth in our life, and as it says, produces endurance and character and hope in Christ. And if you miss that last part of verse 5, through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Back in James 5, verse 11, the third thing he says there is that he says, look at Job's life. No, 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 I don't know if you've read the book of Job, but that God allowed Satan to go after Job and to take out his children and all of his wealth. And Job ran away from God, right? No, does anyone know what he did? He praised the Lord. He fell down and worshiped God. And so then Satan again is before the Lord. And he's like, look at my servant Job. And he's like, well, but if you afflict him with health problems, then he will turn from you. He's like, all right, Satan, you can't kill him. He afflicted Job with boils, with sores from head to toe. And even in that, Job did not turn from God. He did say some things that were wrong, and God corrects him at the end and humbles Job. And then God blessed him and gave him more than what he had. That's not to say that you lose everything and God's going to replace everything. That may be part of the trial still, but that you will be blessed for patient endurance and being steadfast in this world as the troubles amount. If you go back to James chapter 1, where we began the first week in James, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the test of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but sometimes the things and troubles of this world can be so great that we just want to give up. You ever felt like that? I just can't go on another day. Lord, take me now. You ever prayed that before? And we desire to be with the Lord. But His plan and His will that we read in His Word is not as soon as you come to faith in Him to just be beamed up to heaven. But it's to patiently endure and follow the examples of the saints before us by the power of the Holy Spirit and to share the gospel with this world. And when Christ returns, or you die before him, that you would go to be with him in this everlasting, eternal joy that is ever growing. And know that if you are going through trouble, or you will face trouble before Christ's return, that is, it is in God's will for you to go through that. He is never surprised Lord, did you see what's going on? Lord, do you know what's happening here? Yes, he knows very well before the foundations of the earth, he knew everything about your life. He's not surprised. And he is sovereign, and so he's in complete control of all things. And so things and troubles that you go through are allowed by him or may actually be sent by him to bring you through that trial so that he, as you go through that trial, can work in you and that you can count it joyful that he is sanctifying you. Last verse, verse 12. He says, but above all, so you pay attention here. On top of this, 
He says, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is, again, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Every single week we've had texts and things pointing back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. There Jesus warned about making oaths by saying that you're going to do something, by promising to do something, and then not fulfilling that. And I would say this is very fitting in the midst of what he says, because as you are patient, and as you are enduring, and as you're steadfast in this world, and walking with Christ, then you can hold to those things that you desire to do. But there's a warning here. Don't swear by God. Don't swear by heaven or earth, or swear by anything, in that sense of then not being able to fulfill that. We've been reading in James all the things that he talks about our words, and here's a few verses that go with this. James chapter 1, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Chapter 2, verse 12 of James. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. With it, we, speaking of our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. I believe that when we read verse 12 or we read these passages in James, your mouth can be a great revealing truth of how you are patiently enduring the troubles in life. And what does the world hear from you? What do your brothers and sisters in Christ who are looking to you, you're going through the trial, they're wondering, am I going to go through that one day? They're listening to your words. And when we are speaking wrongly and we're spewing things, it's like I have some, some white t-shirts that I'll wear around the house that are just comfortable to wear. And some of them, they've got some coffee stains because sometimes I'll be sloppy or be in a hurry and spill it. And when I put that shirt on, I'm like, oh, it's got that stain. That's what it's like when we speak in a wrong manner and people are looking to go, how are they enduring? How are they living in this world? And to them, all it is is words that are not glorifying God. It's like Jesus saying, and Peter saying to Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. What happened? Three times. I swear I do not even know that man. Guard your heart. Watch your mouth. Look to Christ. Be reminded that confidence in God's final deliverance enables us to persevere and rejoice in trials. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. To the believer, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you just read that? Amen? That for the believer, there is nothing that will, can or will ever separate you from the love of God who's adopted you as his own, who has, as First Peter tells us, an inheritance in heaven waiting for you, the God who will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, the God that we've been singing praises to this morning who is worthy of all of our praise, that nothing, no angels, Satan and the demons can't take you from his hand, that death in this world will not take you away from the love of God. No things present nor things to come. All the things that are looming on the horizon in this world that I read to you at the beginning that some of you are so stressed out about and so worried. Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? I've been praying for you, church. It's been weighing upon my heart for months that as one of the elders of this church that we would prepare the body of Christ through the word of God for anything and everything that this world sends our way, that you would endure patiently and stand steadfastly in your faith, that no matter what would come to you, that Jesus Christ would be glorified in your life and that you would stand for the gospel of Christ and declare it every day until the day that you're with Christ for eternity. The last passage is Ephesians 1, and it says this in verses 13 through 14. In him, meaning Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So for those of you who are doubting, will I fall away? Can anyone take me? Away from Christ, the answer is, for the believer, no. The Holy Spirit has sealed your heart, and he will work in you, and you will persevere until the end when you see Christ face to face. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truths of your word and the promise that you are coming back. And our heart's desire is that you would come today. Our heart's desire is you would come right now. You would take us to be with you. Father, we pray and ask that in the midst of our life right now, the things that seem so troubling and so upon our hearts and weighing us down and the enemy and the world that is against your people, that you would, in the midst of all of this trouble, give us eyes to see your truth the ears to hear it, your spirit to work in us to live accordingly. And Father, for any who are far off that came this morning that have heard the gospel, the good news, I pray that today would, today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, as we sing of the praises, give our praises to you and glorify you, our heart's desire would be that you are pleased. Help us to walk in your truths, and may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.